camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown, whether they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God. And you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feast, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpet over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Well, there are a number of places we can go on this in, in this particular passage of text. But let me kind of give you the big picture, I think. The, uh, the big picture, really, in this passage of text and, and all throughout the book of Numbers, really is the presence of God. God's presence is um, the big picture here. And so today we're going to be looking at fire and clouds hovering over the tabernacle. We're going to be considering silver trumpets. But what we want to understand is that all of these, whether fire, cloud, or silver trumpet, these are means of God to assure his people of his presence. Now, as we look go through all of this, we should make, let me make a general assumption, and that is that God is omnipresent. That is, God is everywhere present. There is nowhere where God is not. But I also want to make a point that God is in his presence or in this special realm of his presence. There is a nearness. There is a, an activeness to God's presence, a nearness that um, where the reality of God is experienced more intimately, more fully, more directly. God is in his in the midst of his people producing trust and confidence and transformation. So he's not just there kind of hanging out, chilling out with them on the couch. But his presence actually accomplishes some things, um, and, and we'll look at some of those things, but as as the presence of God goes with the people of God, they are more fully assured of his faithfulness and his sufficiency. And so he is, by him being in their midst, he will encourage trust in him, confidence in him, transformation of their lives. In other words, the presence of God is not passive. By his presence, his promise will be realized. By his presence, his promise will be realized. In fact, we could argue that the promised land will only be received because God is present. The promised land will only be received because God is present. There is no hope of the promised land being realized absence the presence of God. And so I've titled this message, God With Us. And this idea of God being with us is more than a mere pious statement that we say around Christmas time. 
Christmas time, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. But God with us is transcends the calendar. It is God is with us always. And let me put forth that the promises of God are not realized absence the presence of God. I think too many people might desire the promises of God without God. Um, I talk to some folks and it's almost like, yeah, I, I look forward to heaven and seeing my friends and all of my family and all of this stuff and God is completely left out of the picture. It's almost like, yeah, if God's there, that would be all right too. That'd be kind of cool. No, God is what makes heaven heaven. It is his presence and make no mistake, you will not receive the promise of eternal life absent the presence of God. I think there are too many people who desire God to bless them but don't really want God. They don't want Him close. Bless my life from afar. You stay up in heaven. Transfer all of your blessings to me down here. Let me be prosperous and and have great relationships and, and friends and husbands and wives. I want your blessing, but you stay there and just send a courier with your blessing. Deliver it to my doorstep. You don't need to move. That's not a reality for the believer. That's not a reality. The blessings of God come with the presence of God. I might even say the presence of God is the blessing of God. And so one of the things that we're going to look at today is the way that God manifests or demonstrates or portrays His presence. He's going to manifest His presence in three ways, in guarding, guiding, and gathering. Now, if you like alliteration, um, don't get used to it. I'm not very good at alliteration, but I got one today. So gather, or what did I put? Guiding, guarding, and gathering. If you hate alliteration, just wait till next week and I won't have everything all nicely alliterated like that. But it just worked. So we're going to see God's presence manifested in three ways. God guides his people, God guards his people, and God gathers his people. So let's look at how God is guiding his people, and specifically in the cloud and the fire. This also um, comes also from the silver trumpets, but I'm going to focus mainly on the cloud and the fire. Now you should note the cloud and the fire are resting over the tabernacle. The tabernacle has been completed. We can look back at the book of Exodus chapter 40 and we can see that the tabernacle was completed and that when it was completed, the, the cloud of God came and rested upon the tabernacle. This would be um, a signal that not only is God pleased, but God is present. He is present and dwelling amongst his people um, at, this, at the tabernacle. Um, but if we look back a little bit further, I think it's important to note um, that when Israel came out of Egypt, you may not have noted, noted this, but they were led out of Egypt and to Sinai by the cloud and by the fire. 
And I think there is a link between the journey that they are about to embark on and their deliverance out of Egypt. In other words, the same pillar of fire and the same cloud that led them to freedom is the same cloud and fire that will also lead them to the wilderness, through the wilderness. That God led them out of slavery into a covenant relationship with them. That same God has not abandoned them and is going to lead them through the wilderness. I believe this would be a comfort to the people. As the cloud and the pillar of fire rests upon the tabernacle, they recognize, wow, that same manifestation of the presence of God was with us when we were about to be killed by the Egyptians and God delivered us then and now God is present again with us. We are about to embark into the howling wilderness and God is going to go with us. The wilderness is an inhospitable place. God does not jump ship when things become inhospitable. And so the cloud and the fire rest upon the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the visible place, the visible and tangible place where the people of God see the presence of God. The question then is that we see in chapter 9, verse 15 and following is when to camp and when to leave. Should I stay or should I go? Do you note how repetitious chapter 9, verse 15 through 23 is? It just repeats itself over and over and over again. I, I, I wish I had I had written down because I think it was like nine times in six verses. When the cloud goes, you go. When the cloud stays, you stay. If the cloud stays one day, you stay one day. If the cloud goes, then you go. If the cloud stays a year, you stay a year. If the cloud leaves, you leave. Over and over and over again. This is really a pretty simple command. You do not need to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. They didn't have rockets back then, but if they did, you would not have needed to be a rocket scientist to figure out, should we stay or should we go? Well, I don't know. What's the cloud of fire, cloud and the pillar of fire doing? They're staying. Well, we stay. Should we stay or should we go? Well, it looks like it's moving. Well, let's go. Pack it up. Tear down the tabernacle. Pack up your tents. It's time to go. I also don't know if you noticed how the cloud and the fire are called, are really related or synonymously spoken of as the command of God. This is God speaking to his people. He is speaking them to them through the cloud and through the fire. The will of God is clearly communicated. He is in control of their movement. The journey to the land of promise is going to be by God's direction. And he repeats it over and over and over again.
And again, we see a reinforcement of this idea of unity amongst the people. This is not some disorganized, haphazardless, leaderless endeavor. If an individual was to enter the land of promise, she would only do so as part of the larger community. Somebody just didn't say, well, I'm kind of tired. I've been sitting around here seeing the same scenery for a year, and uh, you know what? What does Moses know? I'm off on my own. I'll go into the land of promise. I can get in there all by myself. I'll stake out a little plot of land. No, you went as a group. The whole community departed together. Nobody was some free agent who just wandered off into the wilderness on their own. They could have done so. They just didn't have the presence of God going with them. This is no disorganized, haphazard, leaderless endeavor. Everybody was acting as part of the larger community. They were individuals who were placed in a larger community. You have to think about the trust that this would require. You'll recall what the Israelites were for the past 400 years, right? They were slaves. They did not journey outside of Egypt. They do not have a map of the wilderness. They move with the cloud and they go where the cloud goes. They need to trust that where we are is good. We go when he goes, we stay when he stays. Because here's the thing, wherever he is, is good. And I think that's what they... That's what they're learning to realize, that wherever God is, it is good. Even if it is in the howling wilderness, it is with the presence of God, so this is a good place to be. It is not the land of milk and honey, but it is in the presence of God, so it's a good place to be. Better to be in the howling wilderness in the presence of God than in the land of milk and honey without the presence of God. And this is what they're going to be learning. So, without getting too allegorical. Tomorrow, if you find yourself in the wilderness, that God has led you into the wilderness, it is a good place. And if the Lord leads you tomorrow to the land of milk and honey, it is a good place. It is good because God is there. The land of milk and honey is a desolate place absent the presence of God. And so he's teaching his people, man, you need me. I'm to be present with you. That's what makes any of this going to work is my presence. So the first thing God is doing is he's guiding his people. He's going to guide them through the wilderness but they, and they go when he goes and they leave when he leaves and wherever God is, that's where they need to be. They don't get to embark on their own, out of their own desires and out of their own. I know better. I know a better way. I know a shortcut through the wilderness. The first thing God is doing is he's guiding them. 
The next thing that we're going to see that God does is God guards his people. And he's going to do this through the means of the fashioning of these two silver trumpets. These trumpets then are the way that God communicates to move his people to warfare and to worship. These are going to be two big themes, warfare and worship. God is going to communicate to them via the trumpets. The past few weeks during Advent, we've spent a fair amount of time looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that God long ago spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in many ways, but in these last days has spoken to us in his son. God has spoken to his people in many different ways. Some of the ways that God has spoken to his people is through a cloud and a fire and through silver trumpets. This will be the way that God communicates his purpose to his people. So fashion these silver trumpets and the, they are going to um, be the means by which God communicates to his people. And let's not forget that communication is an aspect of um, presence, that this affirms or assures the people of God's presence in that he is communicating with his people. In chapter 10, verse 9, take note of this. It says, And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. Look at this now. That you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. That's just an interesting statement to me. And when you go to war in your land against the adversaries who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets so that you will be remembered before the Lord your God. So here, the sound of the trumpet is used as an instrument of prayer for the deliverance from an enemy. In the context of battle, the trumpet served as a prayer by which the covenant relationship between God and Israel was invoked, and thus they, the trumpets reminded the soldiers that God remembers and delivers his people. And I think that's an important note how I, that is stated. I didn't state it, actually. Um, I, uh, Dennis Cole stated it that way, but I think it's very clear. In other words, the trumpets didn't wake God up. Hey, remember us, and we're going to blow a trumpet and wake God up because he's forgotten us. Rather, the trumpets were the sign, uh, communicated prayer that reminded the people God is with us and he will deliver us. It was uh, uh, an encouragement and a source of strength to the people to remind them that though it looks as though we're being overwhelmed by our enemies, God is present with his people. I've heard the trumpet sounding, and God is going to deliver us from our enemies. The other thing to take note of that I find interesting is that verse 9 is very future-oriented, isn't it? And when you go to war in your land, what an amazing statement. When you go to war in your land, God will continue to be present and fight for them even after the entrance into the land of promise. But notice they have not taken the land of promise, but God is saying, it's your land. See, I covenanted it with Abraham way back, long before any of y'all were born. Long before your parents were born and your grandparents were born, I made a promise with a guy by the name of Abraham that I was going to give this land to his descendants. You're his descendants. It's your land. I've already declared it that way. I've already decreed that it's your land. You are going in. It's your land. What a great truth. 
And I couldn't help but be reminded of, of Romans chapter 8 where that great golden chain of salvation that those whom he predestined he also um, foreknew and those he foreknew he also called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified. Speaks of glorification as a certainty. A glorification for all of us, for everybody, is a future event. No saint has been glorified. But Paul talks about the receiving of glorification as so certain that he can talk about it as though it has already occurred. Those whom called, he's justified. And all of the justified will be glorified. That is a certain, even though it hasn't happened yet, it is certain. This is, perhaps Paul had been reading the book of Numbers and he reads this, this point. When you go to war in your land, your land is already done. It's a done deal because I have made it certain. And so God is going to guard his people by use of the trumpets. He's going to communicate his presence through these trumpets and the people can be certain that they will be delivered from their enemies. And then finally, in our alliteration, God gathers his people by use of the trumpets. In verse 10, or chapter 10, um, Verse 3, when both of the trumpets are blown, all of the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is going to gather his people by the use of these trumpets. And he is go- then it later says, and he's going to gather the leaders um, by the use of these trumpets. And then in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 10, it says, And on the day of your gladness also, at your appointed feast, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. And so it is a reminder and assurance of God's forgiveness as they celebrate um, their feasts and the atoning sacrifices that they have offered and that God is pleased with them in their festivals. Blow the trumpets as a reminder in your joy that God has received you and is with you. And so God gathers his people to hear his voice. God gathers his leaders for instruction. And God gathers his people to assure them of his mercy towards them. And so, just a quick summary of these, of where we've been so far. What we've seen is that God is present with his elect. He guides them in the way that they should go. He guards them against their adversaries, and he gathers them to worship. In him, the people live and move and have their being. So there's a bit basic rundown of the... Uh, this section in the book of Numbers. Let me draw a couple of gospel um, connections and not just leave us in the wilderness of Sinai. There are numerous gospel connections that we can make and probably some of you um, 
as you go home and think about this, we'll, we'll think of some others. But, but I put down just a few. The first gospel connection that we should consider is to remember that and never forget that we too are pilgrims. We should have no illusion about the challenges of our journey. We too are wanderers. The wilderness was not their home. Mount Sinai was not their home. God was there in miraculous and crazy ways. I mean, fire on the mountains and, you know, thunder and the voice of God. It was amazing. The wilderness is not their home. God leading them by a fire by, by night and a cloud by day. The wilderness is not their home. It is a howling wilderness. The wilderness was an inhospitable place. And we should also be reminded that we too are wanderers, that we are pilgrims. And we should not be surprised if our environment is less than hospitable towards us as we pass through. John chapter 15 Verses 18 through 20 says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you kept my word, they will also keep yours. Our need is no different than Israel's. The presence, we need the presence of God and we need to follow his lead. The first thing we should recognize, one gospel connection is to realize that we too are pilgrims and we need the presence of God. Which brings me to the next gospel connection and that is God is with us. Let me say a rather controversial, even to some Christians this would be controversial, I'm not sure why, but it is, um, but true statement. I want to recognize that God is not equally present and favorable to everyone in this world. And we can go back to the book of Numbers and I would just ask you to consider the Canaanites. They were a very religious people, but they were not elect. Israel also was not chosen because they were morally superior to the Canaanites. But make no mistake, the Canaanites were not innocent bystanders, wishing to be part of God's community, but, for, forget, but forbidden by God's harsh decree. They hated God. They hated the God of Israel. They hated Yahweh, and they sought to fought, fight against him. They were sinners whose sin had reached its full measure and God was about to judge them. The instrument of his judgment is the people of Israel. But they're not some innocent bystanders just sitting around going, what? We would, we'd follow God if we, if we could. They hated God. They knew about God. In fact, when the, when the spies go into Jericho, Rahab tells them, we know about you. We've heard everything that your God is doing. From way down here south, 
south of Canaan all the way to the northern part of the region. We've all heard about you. We know what you did to those two great kings, Sihon and Og, across the Jordan. We know who you are. And we know who your God is. We know how he parted the waters of the Red Sea. We know how he's defeated every enemy. And we are going to rebel against you. Well, Rahab says, but if Rahab, on the other hand, turns around and says, but if you'll have mercy on me. See, even Canaanites who repented and sought to live in communion with the people of God according to the rules that God and the the precepts that God had laid down were welcomed into the community. The Canaanites who wished to follow Yahweh were welcomed by his grace and mercy. And by nature, we are like the Canaanites. We are committed to serving something that is not God, but by his mercy and by his grace, God promises his presence to those who come to him by faith. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of God. And 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now here's the thing about those who are in Christ Jesus. Is the recipient of the promise of the Father. Jesus, before he goes away, says that I will send the promise of my Father, that is the Holy Spirit, who will be, who is with you now, but will be in you. In fact, when Jesus' last words recorded in the book of Matthew are, and I will be with you always till the end of the age. Well, I think the context tells us or informs us that that is certainly directly tied to missions, but it is not exclusively tied to missions. It is much broader than just God will be with us in our missionary endeavors. God will be with us. Period. I will be with you for how long? Even till the end of the age. God has promised to be with his people who've been justified by faith like Canaanites who come and repent and call upon the name of the Lord. He, by his mercy, will save us and then not simply just save us but be with us by means of his Holy Spirit who he will pour out without measure. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. He calls him another comforter. Another comforter. Get a little techie weird on you, one just like me. Jesus said, when I go away, I will send another comforter. I will send one just like me to be in you, with you and in you forever. This is why he says it's good for me to go away. Because see, right now, I'm in physical body, flesh and bone. I can be with you here, but not there. It's going to be better because when I go away, my spirit will be with each and every one of you. In full measure. God is with us, folks. God is with us. Not in a cloud. Not by silver trumpets. But by His Holy Spirit. And so, even if the cloud rested over this particular building, we'd be going, that's so cool. 
I've often thought it would be really cool not to be able to get into the church doors because of the presence of God. You, know, you, you open the door and you just get shoom, flung out to the street or something. I, I don't know. I think that would be cool. But it wouldn't be cool for somebody in Ethiopia who can't see it. God solved that issue. He is with us here today and with his people in Ethiopia and Bangladesh and Moscow and the Philippines. He is with us now. All of us, all of his people who have been justified by grace through faith for whom there is no condemnation. He is now present. And he leads us and he guides us. What great privilege, what great... What great privilege. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. And then finally, and I'll be brief on this, I don't think we can go too far without dealing with this idea of a trumpet, can we? This is a reminder, folks, that our journey is not forever. The promised land does come. The people do get to the promised land. Oh, they wander for 40 years. They mess it all up. But they get to the promised land. God gets them to their destination. Folks, our journey is not forever. Warfare will and worship will not. And we wait for and listen for that final trumpet, the triumphant return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one day, that trumpet will sound and it will call for an utter defeat of all of God's enemies and an utter rescue of all of God's people. I guess the question then is, are you of God's people? Have you been justified by faith alone, through grace alone, on the merits of Christ alone? Are you trusting in anything else, any goodness of your own, any merit of your own to earn some sort of favor with God? If you are, I hate to tell you, you are woefully lacking. You do not have the sufficiency or the ability or the wherewithal or the riches or the, or the mental acuity or anything else to earn favor with God. And the good thing is you don't need to because Jesus is sufficient and has already done what you need. Will you put your faith, will you trust God in the way that he delivers his people and he delivers them through the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, he, his life for our life, our sins are imputed or credited to his account and his righteousness is imputed or credited to our account. And so we stand righteous before a holy God because of the work of Christ. You say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done this week. I've still failed. Well, look at Israel. Oh my goodness. And God did not go back on his covenant. God doesn't go back on his covenant. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so, again, our journey is not forever. We look and listen and wait there, that one day that trumpet will sound and Christ will return. Warfare will be ended and worship will continue forever. Father, we come before you this day.